Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. These panels have been made possible thanks to Double Exposure and their game design convention Metatopia at Metatopia Online 2020. These panels have also been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and moderators at this event. Now, let's get to it. Episode 277, How to Pitch Your Game. Presented by Alex Cutler, Matt Forbeck, and Kenneth Height. Welcome to How to Pitch Your Game at Online Metatopia 2020. Uh, since I've been on this panel more than the other panelists, I guess that elected me to start talking. I'm Kenneth Height. I'm a professional role-playing game designer and writer. Uh, I've been doing this since the late 90s, depending on how you define doing and this. Uh, I'm joined by two superb panelists uh, in their own right. And I'm going to begin, I guess, uh, with uh, my confrere, uh, Matt Forbeck. Oh. We'll then take it away, and then we'll close with Alex. We'll close strong with Alex. So, Thank you very Matt, much, tell us, tell us why you should be doing this part of the panel instead of me. Uh, I get shanghaied into it. Um, so that's that's usually how it works. Um, I uh, My name is Matt Forbeck. I've been doing this since, uh, I guess, the late 80s, even, if you want to count what I was doing in college. And I started out as a professional role-playing game designer. I founded a company with Shane Hensley called Pinnacle Entertainment Group, which did Deadlands, Brave New World, a bunch of other stuff now does Savage Worlds. Uh, I worked for Games Workshop and uh, Nottingham. I've worked, done tons of other freelancer people. These days, I mostly work on video games and um, and also tabletop role-playing games, uh, but and writing novels and things like that. I write Halo novels, Minecraft novels, good fun stuff. But then Alex should tell us what he's been doing as well. Sure. Uh, thanks. Um, so I'm Alex Cutler. I'm a board game designer. I've been doing it for about six, seven years. Um, got games like Expansity and Team 3 and a bunch of other stuff. And most recently, though, I've been on the other side of the table uh, as far as receiving pitches, working for Pandasaurus Games, uh, doing scouting for them and development for some of their upcoming titles. So a little bit of both sides of the, the bridge there. Pretty cool. All right. Traditionally at Metatopia, when we do this, we have an audience full of game designers and they uh, come up to the microphone and they give us their pitch for their game, which is almost uniformly terrible. And then the panelists uh, break it down and, and refine it and turn it into a pitch that will you know, hopefully be more effective. And uh, it certainly will be easier for them to deliver once they've got it put together. I don't know how many game designers we have in the audience and how many pitches we have ready. So until we... Uh, see whatever the digital equivalent of raised hands is. I guess, Alex, you're the one of us who's taking pitches. <laughs> Why don't you start by, by telling us what it is you're looking for and what will make you uh, start thinking about uh, prestige television instead of what they're saying? Sure. Well, it's it's a difficult question to answer in COVID times because uh, yeah. things are certainly different now than they are normally. Um, if this panel had happened, if I was on this panel last year, I'd be talking about how to go to conventions and schedule meetings and you know network and make those connections and 
Now, obviously, a lot of things have moved online. It's it's more trying to pitch digitally. I know um, both the Metatopia and a lot of other recent um, online conventions and things like that, there have been digital components for speed dating and things like that, where people pitch with tabletop simulator, tabletopia, um, which, you know, certainly there's been a dramatic shift in the last, you know, seven, eight months with COVID uh, in the industry of trying to figure out how to receive pitches um, in kind of an atypical medium. Um, you know, a lot of uh, my job, I, so I started the scouting right around the time COVID started. My first show working <laughs> for Pandasaurus was uh, um, Gamma back in March, which was literally like right on the edge of when we all went into lockdown. So I haven't actually taken a lot of in-person pitches, uh, but I've been receiving pitches digitally uh, in the time since then. So, you know, we can talk about uh, sell sheets and, and things like that, ways to, to reach out to people digitally. Um, we can talk about tabletop simulator. Um, I, I guess that's less of a relevant thing on the RPG side, but I'm not sure. Is that? Uh, sometimes you can use tabletop simulator, but you can yeah. use anything. I, I was working on a game where uh, my co-designer actually did the whole thing up in Roll20, right? Mm -hmm. And then was able to, yeah. you know, he did all the Java programming and, and did it up so we could just push buttons and make things happen. <coughs> but, literally, it's a role-playing game. You can do it just with a camera like this if you want to. And then you have to point the camera down and say, look, this is how the dice mechanic works, or this is how the character sheet works. Let me share my screen with you, that kind of a thing. Uh, but yeah, we did do Roll20 in one, yeah, one setting and then uh, uh, Zoom or some other teleconferencing solution on the other side so that you can actually talk to people directly and get the reaction while you're doing the actual game part on the other side. Right? I think that's useful to be able to uh, have a kind of visual feedback. And you know, if somebody wants to raise a hand or have a question, as opposed to them having to try to type it in while you're doing something else. Yeah, Roll20 is a really fantastic platform. I'd, I'd imagine that with the way things are right now, RPGs make the transition a little bit easier, just since there's, you know, it's a little bit more untethered. Um, there's just a lot of board games that just don't work at all in a digital uh, platform. Right. As, as a designer, that's one of my struggles is when I'm putting things into something like Tabletop Simulator, if there's a dexterity component or something like that, or yeah. fiddly little bits, it's just like, no, that's that's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the tiddly winks in tabletop simulator <laughs> seem to be a real pain, right? <laughs> yeah, you can flip the table, but that's about it. So. Yeah. <laughs> tabletop Jenga is far less challenging. Than yeah. that. That's just Tetris, and we've already <laughs> had that. Um, I guess, I guess the sort of to back it up a little bit, um, before it even gets to that stage, the stage where you're, you know, on tabletop simulator, you're on a, a Zoom call with a with a publisher, you need to get to the part where you've convinced them to take the call, right? That you've been able to sell it and whether that's in person at a game convention uh we devoutly hope in the future or in an email like a, a, a pitch email or a cover email or just in a chat that you've you know captured their attention for a brief amount of time they've given you a like a, a like a speed dating you know brief window to talk i, I think that you have to begin and again alex you'll as the expert feel free to shoot my ideas down but you have to begin with a sense of what is your game that you are trying to pitch. It, simply saying, well, I, I've, once I explain all the rules in my cool new card mechanic, that will sell the game <laughs> by itself. And that literally, even that if that were true, you don't get there until you can pitch the idea of your game. And that, in my experience, is something closer to 30 seconds than 30 minutes. Where if you know if you've got a whole minute of the guy's attention or the person's attention, then you're doing pretty well uh, in, in a lot of these circumstances. And so, for example, when I was uh, 
when I was pitching uh, Knights Black Agents, uh, not to the publisher in this case, but to uh, buyers at a at a uh, at a convention. And again, you'll need to be able to do that too. In most circumstances, uh, you, the designer, are going to be a ongoing part of the of the sales and marketing. And certainly, a lot of that will be in person once we have conventions again. But you have to be able to have almost a a shorthand uh, description of your game that both compares it to something the publisher or buyer already knows and is interested in and explain why it's new and different. So it has to be both familiar and original, which is the, the holy <laughs> yeah. grail of, of, of all creative right <laughs> it's, so, it's, a very fine, it's a very fine line to walk, isn't it? Of, of trying to thread that needle of comparing it to something that people can grasp onto and already have a, a sense of without trying to sound derivative or, or you know, you have to really stand apart, but also on the mm -hmm. shoulders of. Yeah. So when I so when I pitch Nice Black Agents, it's as Jason Bourne versus Dracula. And then that gets people's attention. And if it's a slightly longer pitch and I have gauged my my interlocutor correctly, I say it's Jason Bourne. If the Bourne, if the vamp, if uh, it's the Bourne trilogy, if Treadstone were vampires. And then if they know the Bourne trilogy, that works. If they don't, then I needed to have stuck to Dracula and, and Jason Bourne. But it's it's again, it's that sense of familiarity, but it's also but a new different thing. And that's true if you even if you're selling it's um uh it's a it's a terrain building game like Settlers of Catan, but it takes place in zero G. So there's a 3D component. I just made that up, but 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 that's the sort of you thing that someone would say. All right, how did that work? How do you get a three D component? You know what's what's going on? Tell me, tell me the story of how you're, and then you can start going into the well. Conven conveniently, I've got it up on tabletop simulator, and we can set up a meeting or whatever. Right? I mean, again, Alex, when you are taking that initial pitch or that initial pitch email, uh, what kind of things are you are you looking for and at and even more importantly, what kinds of things make you uh, send a your email does not meet our needs at this time email back? Uh, well, some of it is just like the fundamental nature of what the company is actually looking for. So yeah. I'm a contractor. I'm not an employee of Pandasaurus, but I have you know meetings with ownership and I know what types of games they're looking for. So that, you know, sometimes you could have the, the greatest game in the world, but if we're not actively looking for a mass market party game, then it's just, you know, I'll hang on to your sell sheet. I'll hang on to your email if, we, if our needs change. But there's not a lot we can do. And you know, as a designer pitching to a publisher, that happens. You know, like it, it's uh, one of those things where you just have to get really used to, and it's difficult, and I, I know it's difficult, but really internalizing that no's are okay. It's okay to get a no, it's okay to get a, you know, hopefully it's a polite no, but you know, no mm -hmm. matter what, like it's um, the different publishers know what they're looking for usually. Uh, they'll have a gut reaction to what you're showing them. And if you get that that feedback, like, hey, it's not what we're looking for at this time, that's that's okay. And then, you know, it just might not be a good fit. So, um, you know, Pandasaurus, we're looking for midweight Euros, uh, games that can be played by a family, but aren't necessarily traditional family games. And then we've got a foothold into stores like Target. So we look for things that are maybe a little bit more, more mass, although we aren't actively looking, like I mentioned, we aren't actively looking for party games. Um, so that's that's the first threshold to cross over, right? You send an email to a publisher, here's what I've got. Hopefully you've looked through their catalog and you know what other types of games they produce. Um, some publishers will say directly on their website, hey, here's what we're looking for right now, which is great. Um, you know, if, if you're pitching to a, a big box heavy miniatures Kickstarter company and you've got a 10 minute card game, you know, maybe you don't even waste the time sending the email, so. Yeah, like for instance, I mean, I, I have a company that's a publisher 
and they just send me um, a list and it says, you know, this is the kind of stuff we're looking for right now in this quarter, this half, right? And if you want to pitch us for this, also these are games we have licenses for or think we can get licenses for. So then you can actually mold your stuff for that. But I think Ken's right. I mean, what you do is you, you go to their website, you figure out whether or not they have submission guidelines. If they have them, you follow them to the letter. Steve Jackson Games used to be famous for putting something saying, like, uh, put the letter 13 or the number 13 in your upper right hand corner. And it was buried in like page four of their submission guidelines. So that way they would know immediately if you bothered to read the guidelines. And if you weren't somebody who was going to read the guidelines, they didn't want to deal with you, right? Because it was obviously you weren't somebody who was able to follow instructions. As a game designer, that's kind of bad, right? So, um, but the, I think going back to even previous to that, Ken's talking about, I think, coming up with hooks or pitches. Uh, it's very much the same thing that you do with uh, uh, novels and comics and film and really any entertainment medium is you have to be able to take what you're doing, whatever it is, however amazing and epic it is, and boil it down into like two sentences, if you're, maybe one. And uh, that then becomes your back cover copy that you can then sell through, you know, you use it to sell your game to the publisher uh, or the editor. Uh, they turn on sell it to the publisher. They turn on sell it to the distributor. They sell it to the stores. Stores sell it to the uh, customer, all based upon that really sharp hook that you develop to explain to people why your game is so damn cool, right? And you can manage to boil it down that far and do that well with it. That makes everything easy, right? And it also makes it for a nice little touchstone for you if you, in the middle of game development, say, what is this game about? What am I trying to achieve? Does it go toward this hook or does it go toward? A, does it go away from it, right? Because it's one of the worst things you can do is tell people it's this and then give them something else, you know? It's sure. like, oh, yeah, this is pizza, but really it's a cauliflower crust with all sorts of other shit in it. I wanted a pizza, right? Uh, um, maybe it tastes like a pizza if you do a really good crust, but you have to prove it to people. Now. So, you know, you want to be able to, to make sure, that, you know, if you can boil things down to that hook, uh, then everything becomes so much easier to, to you throughout the entire process. Yeah, and I think one of the things that made Ken's hook that he he laid out there so strong is um, really taking advantage of mixed media, right? Like you say, Jason Bourne versus Dracula, you know, like you can you can be right spot on with that. But if it's about a board game or an RPG, you know, the mind immediately starts going, oh, what is this about? How is this this working? Whereas, you know, if you're like, I'm making a tiling board game that's like Settlers of Catan, then it's it's too close almost where you're you're right. it, it's not as it doesn't spark the imagination in the same way. So I think that's a that was a you know just when you threw that out there like I was immediately like oh I absolutely want to play that that sounds great you know. Exactly. Well you know that's that's why we're on the panel Alex. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> but um yeah so the so the so the zeroth level of pitching is to know your own game well enough to know what is its. You know, they call it a unique selling point, I think, in marketing speak. I don't know what, maybe that's the old name and they have a new dumb name, but it's unique selling point, which is, assuming I have Settlers of Catan, assuming I have a well-stocked game store, I'm a retailer, assuming I'm a, a you know, long-time RPG player, whatever it is, why am I playing your thing instead of this other thing that I already like, right? In, D in, in RPGs, obviously, it's like, uh, it, it, used, it used to be that the doomed pitch was always, it's Dungeons and Dragons, but with a better skill system. And of course, no one in the history of mankind has ever said, gosh, I love Dungeons and Dragons, but only if their skill system were more intricate, then you'd really have something. Or rather, the only people <laughs> who've ever said that are game designers who have gone on to ignominy. But if you can say it's uh, Dungeons and Dragons, but uh, it's got um, uh, 
uh, it, it, it's set in a world with uh, with black powder weapons integrated into the game. That's a different thing. Suddenly people are saying, because that's about play as opposed to about little fiddly mechanical things that only the designer cares about. Mm-hmm. And some games, uh, like you were talking about the 10-minute you know, card game, something like that, you could maybe sell on a, on a play mechanic. Like James Ernest's Falling, you know, that really, the, the play mechanic is the thing, that it's a speed game and you're the person who's trying to play the cards before you hit the ground. That gives you a, an immediate sense of what that game is about, and and it's a it's a mechanical hook. In I think maybe ninety percent of cases, the hook is not mechanical. The hook is what is play about. But in order to talk to the publisher, you have to be able to say, within the world of mechanics, what is my game like? Is it a party game? Is it a Euro? Is it an America uh, an America style you know theme heavy game? Is it you know based on Halo? Is it you know whatever? Uh, and then you can drill down. So uh, sort of the ideal pitch, the or pitch would be it's X type of, of, of game, X subtype. So in board games, it's you know, a party game that is like game Y, that's like um, uh, apples to apples, but you know, it's about submarines. And then people are like, how do you do that? I want to know more. And <laughs> exactly. all three of those have to be present or at least you have to know all three of those if you're going to pitch to the publisher. You have to be able to pitch into the category. Then you have to be able to say, here's what it is like. Here's the basic sort of audience, sort of universe it, it takes place in. And then why am I playing your game? If you're telling me it's like apples to apples, why aren't I already playing apples to apples, which is great and we love. And that's the, And that's the sort of the twist, the left turn that you need and I think any successful pitch, it has to give me a reason. I'm already, I love D&D. I love Call of Cthulhu. I love, you know, whatever the game is. Why aren't I playing that instead of your game? And that's when you have to hit them with the difference. It's it's vampire, but you're hunting the vampires. That's different. It's Call of Cthulhu, but in space or whatever, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, that was pretty much the original vampire pitch. It's like, it's, it's uh, monster hunting, but you're the vampires, right? It, right, exactly. It's, is the context right because it's what you know what are people expecting at that point right what are they already playing and people uh, especially game designers tend to forget it. professionals of any type if you've been doing this for a while you're deep into a hobby or, or, or a, a genre or category is that the general public really isn't as worried about those little minutiae as the rest of us are the people are doing this professionally right so like you say i mean changing a skill system you know for a game designer you might go oh that's kind of cool how does that work but you know the buying public, the people who are actually going to pay money for these things are generally like, I don't care. You know, does it do the job? Uh, is it fun? Right. And fun's always a nebulous kind of thing. Um, if, yeah, if, if you're selling something based on just a mechanic, you have to show them why the mechanic is fun. Right. I actually have a long rant I do for a whole nother panel at a different convention about how, uh, you know, story is, you can have mechanics. Mechanics are very important if they're really innovative. Right. And an innovative mechanic can carry an entire game by itself. But once that you use that mechanic in one game. After that, it's about the metaphor and the theme and why you, why am I doing this, right? And how can you make things, how can you dovetail the mechanics and the theme so that they feel like they're actually one piece and they were created that way, even though obviously when you do this stuff, a lot of, you, you know, as a creator, you're making this stuff up out of different disparate areas. And it's a real challenge. And then to be able to do that and make it seem seamless and then boil it down so you can pitch it to a publisher is really tough, right? 
Uh, and if, what did you say? A lot of times you get people show up at these conventions and say, I've got this pitch. And it's terrible, right? Because they're not, they're thinking as a designer as opposed to a buyer. And all of us started out as fans. So they ought to be, you know, pitch it to somebody you've never talked to. Pitch it to somebody at a game store. Say, pitch it to the, uh, the your, your local retailer. Would you buy a game like this? Right? And if they say, why the hell would I buy a game like that? You know, you've got something wrong. It may not be anything wrong with your game, but it could very well be something wrong with your pitch. And if you don't have a decent enough pitch, nobody's ever going to see your game anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, on the uh, we're going to rant here, guys. <laughs> on the board game side of things, you know, the mechanical hook is almost as important, if not more important, than the thematic hook. A lot of times, board game companies, you know, the theme is almost ancillary. It'll, it's you know, if if you've got a great theme, that's fantastic. But I, I imagine it's much more baked into the DNA on the RPG side. So if you yeah. It's you know Jason Bourne versus Dracula, and they want to change it to James Bond versus Twilight. You know that you're like, okay, well, please don't do that. You know that's not what I yeah. that's not what I designed. Whereas, um, as a, both as a designer, and I mean, it's like something like Settlers of Catan. You don't say uh, I'm going to lay tiles to form a random map and then trade individual uh, goods or, or trade individual numbers with each other, right? As a mechanic, you don't describe it like that. You say we are settlers going out to take over an entire nation and compete with each other for land. So the metaphor, when you're telling people what you do in the game, you don't generally describe the mechanics first. That comes after you tell them what you're going to be doing in the game, right? From my point of view, obviously you're the, you're the publisher liaison. So. I think that's fair. I think it also depends on the weight of the game. So you know you're talking about James Ernest sure. falling, right? And that's the mechanic is the hook, right? The theme right. is whatever, um, and it's. Uh, I mean, it's a strong you're theme. The, you're falling to your death, but right, still. exactly. I mean, to me, it's like okay, you're falling, and you got to do all this stuff before you die. That and then the mechanics after that are like, okay, how do I do that? How does that happen? Well, the theme at that point when the game is light enough, the theme is the mechanical. Like, so right. one of my games, Team Three, is you're the three monkeys, right? The see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil, and it's a building game where one of you can see the card, and then you're trying to um, use hand gestures to a monkey who um, can talk. Yeah, third one who is blindfolded who's then trying to build it just based on the verbal description so it's all about the communication between the two uh but when you pitch it you know you're pitching it as this easy to latch on to framework that people have heard of the three monkeys but then like mechanically you can describe it in a sentence and it's you know you can get it really fast because it's a lighter game so the the theme only exists in so much as the art in the rule book but it's really about the mechanic as the as the core driving force although in this case uh when you designed the game, you didn't begin with, here's an interesting idea. What if only one player could see the card? You began with the notion of it's the three monkeys, but yeah, gamified. That's true. It's, it's, it's done a lot of times. I guess that's an interesting question is, and I'd be curious to hear what you two think uh, in your own design process is how, when you have something really good that you're really confident in, how early in that process do you figure out what the hook is? Does it come right away at the beginning and it's what inspires the design or does it come later on? For me, I, I start with a hook, right? Yeah, I, I think in RPGs, because it is so story-centric, you almost have to begin with that, you know, that core activity or that core hook. I mean, Knights Black Agents uh, began literally with me standing on a train platform in Chicago thinking this would be a good place to hunt a vampire, <laughs> right? And then, <laughs> and then thinking... Well, who hunts vampires? If if we had vampires, who would hunt them? Jason Bourne would hunt them, and then that was it. That was that that was thirty seconds standing on that train platform, thinking this is where you would have a a, a vampire hunt, and that was the hook. And then the rest was making sure that 
you know, as, as Matt said, a touchstone, keeping that central concept, Jason Bourne hunting vampires, so that everything in the game sort of fed into that or visibly played off of that. And so, yeah, you could do James Bond hunting Twilight if you were, you know, <laughs> a cruel and hateful person. But uh, but the core game is Jason Bourne versus Dracula. How do you then change who you are? Now you work for an agency. You're not a lone wolf. How do you change the vampires? They're sparkling reptilian creepers as opposed to, uh, you know, European lineage of, of monsters, right? So it's... but But the central activity is still... You're a spy. You're hunting a vampire, right? But those two those two games you described sound entirely different. They play entirely different because of that, right? They may even yeah. have the same mechanics, but they feel very different because of what you're wrapping yeah. around. I mean, the difference between apples to apples and Cards Against Humanity, for instance, mechanically is zero, right? Yeah. But they're very different play experiences as far as yeah, but uh, yeah, and, and in and in an affect as well, like just the exactly. everything about the games, you know, does something points the experience in a different pattern. I mean, do we want to talk about cell sheets? Because I think that's sort of a, a mysterious area for a lot of people. I know it certainly is to me. I I recently wrote like three cell sheets to uh, pitch games to a company, and I was uh, it was it was a little because it's sort of the 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 ugly spot, not the sweet spot between actually writing a game and coming up with my two sentence pitch. So one of the games that I pitched was called Venator which is about uh, monster hunters in ancient Rome, right? The Venator is Latin for hunter. You go out and you're hunting monsters for the gladiatorial games. And that pitch is easy. And then writing it would, well, easy is not the word, but I would understand how to do it. But you take that concept and sort of like Matt was saying, write the back cover of the game before you have the game. That's that's a little tough. And you, uh, uh, again, a sell sheet, uh, uh, for to, to for the 101 is it's a single sheet and it describes what your game is and why anyone would buy it. And you, if you think of it as the back cover of the book or the back cover of the box, back of the box, the part where you lay out, you know, you know, you, you have a little bit of evocative text, you have some bullet point, you know, what makes this game great? And then you can target your sell sheet towards the publisher in a way uh, if it's a sell sheet for the publisher and then rethink it when it becomes the customer focused sell sheet. Sure. And on the board game side, you'll probably want to have some kind of imagery as well. Right. Uh, you right. know, uh, it's different on the RPG. Yeah. But the board with game, with me, it was just, uh, you know, clip art of Romans fighting things, which yeah. I <laughs> Board games, presumably, if you're at the point where you're making a sell sheet, you've already got your prototype that you've tested a bit and have some, you know, it doesn't have, obviously, it shouldn't even have final art at, at the point in which you're making a sell sheet because you're pitching it to a publisher to do that for you. You know, if we're talking about trying to get published as opposed to self-publishing, um, but you should have like a glamour shot of your game on the table, the prototype laid out where, so you can see the components at a glance, you know, maybe like mm -hmm. sit up halfway through a game or something like that, where you could just look at it as a publisher and say, okay, that's what it's going to look like on the table. I can see that it's got two decks of cards and a central board and, you know, $10 of plastic or something. So I, I know that I can fit that into the MSRP that I want to put it in. There's cost them out, right? A lot of times you're like, I'm going to make a game and we don't, you know, but you have no idea what components cost. You have no idea what the, you know, this is going to be a great game, but it's going to cost us $50 to manufacture, but we can only sell it for 60. What the hell's the point? Right. And they don't understand yeah, the three-tier three structure and all that. And, 
it gets nuts. And that's, that's one of the really tough things about designing on the hobby side is I've, I've seen a lot of, I've played a lot of games that are really good and they're just not producible. And it's, it's just one of those tough things because someone, you know, maybe they've been working on this for a year or two and they've got this massive prototype and you just, you look at it as, from a publisher goggles perspective and you're just, I can't sell the, I can't produce this game for under $80 and you know, it's a $50 game. And that, that you know, that unfortunately that matters. It doesn't matter how good the game is if it doesn't fit into kind of like a price point that is reasonable. And, you know, different publishers have different levels of ability to, to bite that sort of thing off. Like someone like a Hasbro can, you know, maybe produce a game like a, a plastic heavy game for cheap enough because they're producing in such volume. But if you're, you know, pitching to someone who's going to make a thousand, two thousand units of something, it really needs to be able to fit right in, right into a certain slot. Right. Yeah, I think and it, uh, designers can figure that kind of stuff out by looking at what else is out there, right? If, you, if you've never seen this before, often there's a reason for that, right? And you, maybe you have a great idea. Maybe you've got a, uh, something that can break genres and sell billions of dollars worth. But if it's if you look at that and say, why hasn't anybody ever done that before? That should be one of your first questions you want to solve, right? Um, yeah. Because and, and, and maybe it's impossible of, with current manufacturing techniques. And there's a lot of games out there. There's thousands of new games coming in every year. So if you're a designer and you've got your game and you can look at your component list, try and find you know five, six other games that fall into a very similar slot component-wise and right. see what they're selling for and, and if your game is offering the same level of gameplay as, as those. Because um, that, that is a deal breaker often for publishers. It's, I really like this, but I just don't think we can do it in the, in the price that we need. Sure. I mean, sometimes it's even like, can it fit in this size of box? Right, you know that kind of thing. I mean, I remember yeah, seeing yeah. a game that uh, was on a big rollout map, and you're like, "That's great," except it has to be a rollout map because of the way it works. How do you package that, and where are you going to put it on a store shelf, and all that kind of stuff? Right? Yeah, if your your game requires, you know, 500 cards, that's a whole different, you know, prospect than if it requires 100 cards or yep. 50 cards, right? That those, I mean, it, it's more than five times the problem. To, to 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 package and sell a 500 card game than it is a 100 card game. Right. Yeah. And printing cards is cheap, but then generating artwork for those, if you have to do that for those 500 cards, mm -hmm. uh, it's crazy. But on the other hand, that's how they did Magic the Gathering. I mean, that was, you know, yeah. Peter managed to pull it all off because he figured out how to do it. But, but, but was Magic was, you know, like you said, it was a it was a once in a generation category breaker. It was, yeah. yeah. And, and it, he was and literally it, giving away shares of the company for artwork at that point, right? And 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 uh, didn't Richard Garfield he'd pump, he'd pitched that to a bunch of other game companies, and Peter was just you know the guy who kind of didn't know enough about the industry <laughs> to take them on. Right. Exactly. Didn't think. Well, that's true. that's crazy. Yeah. That's what they say. Just, success are right? is you going to be first or you can be best so right. if you can't be best be first and then right, right. And, and just as as a piece of advice if you're not richard garfield this is not a viable pitching model <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> that's right once in a generation at least mm. so. wow so what uh, else guys uh, do we know if there's any comments in the stream yet that we can respond to yes actually there are um oh, We've had several people in the audience who are discussing that uh, there might be a downside to pitching the my game is like this other game thing because it tends to put the focus of the conversation on the other game too much. Do you have any thoughts on how to frame the pitch to minimize the downside of comparing your game to another game? Well, hopefully your game isn't identical to that game, right? Or just with a tiny little twist. You know, like Ken was saying before, a lot of times you want to say it's like this with this, you know, uh, you know, it's like peanut butter with chocolate, right? And you're like, Jesus, those are two very different things. But once you put them together, 
it's amazing. You get your Reese's cup or whatever. But um, you know, if if it's just it's peanut butter, but with more, with uh, you know crusted peanut butter on the edge, nobody gives a shit. So, uh, but so you want to make sure it's something that uh, it, it's two things are disparate enough, or however many things that uh, they're not you're not copying somebody else, right? Because you do want to have, as Ken was saying, that unique selling point. Otherwise, you know, why are we playing your game as opposed to somebody else's game? But if you don't have that point of familiarity, it's, it also makes it very hard to sell. Somebody goes, that's, you know, I don't even know if that sounds interesting because I've never heard of either one of those things. Yeah. And it's not just, you know, if you're saying my game is like Settlers of Catan, good if they're thinking about Settlers of Catan. Now they're paying attention to you. If you just walked in and said, my game is a territory exploring tile builder with a strong trade mechanic, you've just said it's like Settlers of Catan, but you've taken five times the words to say it and you've bored the person silly on the other end of the conversation. If you start with, it's like Settlers of Catan, but if your next part is a compelling difference is, but it uh, takes place you know, in space and so there's a 3D component or it's uh, about vampires or whatever it is, that's your fun, exciting change, that will be the part they will focus on. But the first, the job of that first part of the pitch is to bring them into your mental space without angering or boring them to the extent that they close out the rest of your pitch. Because you know, I've been pitched a lot of role-playing games uh, that are the other problem than it's D&D, but with a good skill system. They start pitching me by describing the skill system. And now I literally don't care. I didn't care before, but I super don't care now. And and so the 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 interest has to be got somehow, and that has to be with something familiar because that's literally the definition of how you do it. You don't want to spend your pitch, you know, praising settlers of Catan or saying, Well, obviously settlers is brilliant and a bestseller, and my game will never do that. That's not <laughs> what you want to do. But but you're you're not describing settlers so that people will think about settlers, you're describing settlers so that people understand what your game is going to feel like mechanically and maybe how, you know, it's going to look if you don't have a, 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 a an image because you're doing this face-to-face briefly or, or over Zoom or whatever. Uh, it, it's, it, it's, uh, the, the job is to shorthand the discussion of why your game is unique and fun, not to, um, uh, uh, not to sort of go right into the weeds of, no, here's my intuitive uh, multiplayer uh, uh, initiative system, or whatever. Right. Yeah, sure. You know, all of us are fairly experienced gamers too. So, you know, especially publishers, they see tons of this stuff. So, if you start sitting down and explain to them, "This is how my game works," and you haven't given them a framework of expectations, they're going to start thinking, "Okay, this is like Settlers, right?" Or if it happens to be that way, or this is like Machikora, or whatever it is, and. You know, then they're going to start thinking, why is this different? Why is this not something? Why is this something I should be excited? You should just short circuit that bit if it is like something else, or even similar to something else, and say, okay, it, we already know it's like this, but this is how it's different. This is why it's unique and important and exciting, as opposed to having the publisher sit there and go, yeah, I can see where this is going, right? Because in that period of time where they say, I can see where this is going, they're going to start losing interest, right? And if you've only got a minute with them, I mean, if you got a half hour with them, sure, and you know you're not worried about them nodding off in the middle of it, then you can take the time and you know, do it all out. But if you're just but, doing that initial pitch, you want to make sure that they're not leaping ahead of you to a bad answer, right? You want them to leap ahead of you to a good answer. 
And some of it is how you phrase things too, right? You don't have to start off with it's like Settlers of Catan, but it's you can describe your game and then very quickly come into it backwards. It's like, and and here, and I know you're thinking it's like a Settlers of Catan or something like that, but here's why it's clearly different. You know, you can you can you can nip it in the bud of like, okay, the publisher's brain is going to okay. I said it's a card, it's a deck builder, so they're going to be thinking Dominion. And you can come to it, and here's why it's not at all like Dominion, but you can you can say those things. Um, I think it's important to throw out, though, I, I would personally, and you guys might disagree, I don't know, but I would personally avoid the language of comparisons on physical media. Like, if I'm making a sell sheet, I don't know that I would want to reference other games. Like right, yeah. Sure, it's yeah. More it's a verbal, conversational shorthand. Yes, right. This, yeah, uh, when we're talking, you know, it's like x but y that's very much the elevator pitch the you know the the 30 second one minute talk for the sell sheet you don't want to say you know it's like settlers of Catan, but ideally you have a photo of your game in which everyone sees oh it's tiles and a little pawn it's like settlers of Catan. although and, you know when you're doing marketing for other stuff like novels and such you'll often see for fans of this right and yeah. you can put stuff like mm -hmm. that in there as long as it's just like a one-line thing, not like an emphasis thing, it should it should be like that kind of a blurby bit that tells you this is something that people enjoy. This will also like this, right? And and again, that that is that is that kind of language is very common in internal publisher-focused selling as opposed to external audience-focused selling. But even then, I've I've been at uh, at shows where people have pitched me their book, like you know, and they've said. Do you like Dune? This is like Dune, but X or whatever. And so, um, uh, you you know you 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 get that immediate familiarity hook, right? And that's and, 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 and that's absolutely so, right about you know making right. it like at the back of a box, and then mm -hmm. so that you want it to look as professional and clean and you know bullet pointed, straightforward as possible. Yeah. And, and again, yeah, I mean, it's it's it also depends on what the audience is for your sell sheet. Is it are you specifically talking to publishers, or are you trying to talk to playtesters or fans, or are you mm -hmm. kickstarting it and you're trying to come up with the language of how you're advertising these things? It's I mean, there's like the colloquialisms about like how like Coke never mentions Pepsi, right? Like you don't directly right. when you're trying to sell something to a consumer, you aren't mentioning the other things that are out there necessarily, right? Yeah. Although when Coke was first being pitched, I mean, how long has it been since Coke had to do a pitch meeting? But when they were first pitching Coke, <laughs> sure. I guarantee you they were saying it's like root beer, but not as cloying or something like that, right? Yeah. <laughs> celery soda. Yeah. It's, it's like celery tonic, but not oh. nasty. <laughs> okay, I've got another question if you're ready. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this one is from Eugene Marshall, and it's for Matt specifically. Uh -oh. Do you have any advice for pitching a superhero tabletop role-playing game in particular? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't. I'm working on some already. So, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, pitching role playing games is hard. I mean, unless you're Ken, right? It's uh, and you know, a publisher comes to you and says you want to do this. Um, I would say that again, you want if you're pitching any kind of a game, especially a superhero role playing game in a market that's pretty much saturated. You know, I'm talking about general entertainment. It's pretty much saturated with superheroes nowadays. Again, you want to say why is this different? I mean, for instance, when uh, they do the boys over at Amazon, they, you know, they, they can show you the comic or whatever, but they don't say it's just like the Avengers. You know, uh, they, they show you what's different about it, right? It's the Avengers, but it's brutal. It's more realistic, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it's darker. So if you're if you're pitching a, a, a superhero role-playing game like that, focus on the things that make it different than other people, than other things. I mean, because, again, this is something that we're all terribly familiar with at this point. Um, 
there actually aren't a ton of new superhero role-playing games at the moment, so I suspect there are probably going to be another wave of them like we get ever so. This happens in entertainment. You'll see parallel development. Um, one of the things, when you're pitching something, people will say, you have to sign this waiver that says, you won't sue me if I publish something identical to the, your pitch. And a lot of people are just starting out and say, oh, my God, they're going to steal my ideas. But no, the trouble is that we're all swimming in the same cultural soup. We're all watching the same movies. We're all playing the same games. And so a lot of us are coming up with the same relatively close ideas at the same time. So, you know, sign the waiver, go ahead and pitch your idea, but try to make it something, uh, figure out what makes it unique and makes it stand out more than anything else. And it's difficult in a very crowded field like that. But, you know, why should I, again, Ken's talking about before, why should I play this as opposed to a game I already know and love? And if you can solve that riddle, then you probably have a decent pitch. I mean, uh, for example, Masks uh, has two pitches. One system pitch it uses uh the powered by the apocalypse engine two it's about teen superheroes and both of those are different enough that both of those are compelling pitches and you'll note that that pitch teen superheroes empowered by the apocalypse took about 30 seconds to pitch or not not even took 15 seconds to pitch and that is i mean that's my general advice for everything but certainly as matt says in a in a genre that's as super saturated as superheroes are you really need to arrow down and say, why am I playing your game instead of Masks or Mutants and Masterminds or uh, Brave New World or any of the other superb, super games out there? You know, because especially with supers games, not to get too deep in the weeds, with those games, a lot of uh, that experience is about learning the power interplay. There's a higher... um, there's a higher learning curve, a steeper learning curve with Supers games than there are with a lot of other tabletop games because powers are so innately complex. And so your your pitch really has to be, uh, you know, geared towards ease, familiarity, and then the thing that I'm using your game for instead of, you know, icons. Right. And, you know, a lot of times in the game, it's like, what are, what are you there to do, right? So superheroes is really a genre. It's not something you're doing. It's a, it's a flavor of what you're doing, right? So what are you going to do in this game? Are you going to save the world? Are you fighting on the streets? Are you uh, combating a, a, a authoritarian government? What are you doing in this game? And that's the kind of cross flavor, I think, that will actually help distinguish your game from other games and your setting from other settings, right? It's not just, uh, you know, hey, there are people with superpowers, right? That's uh, a billion other properties like that. But what are you doing in this that's important, that's going to be exciting for the characters, that's going to be fun? Hope that answers. Okay. Sorry, another question. Um, how do you suppose, uh, how do you think that uh, role-playing game publishers would respond if your pitch contained, like if you approach them and you have already got a quick start document, art and like something to actually show them in a, and like play testing data and that kind of stuff? Uh, that's the thing that happens after the pitch. <laughs> the, the the pitch is how you get them interested enough to look at your playtesting data, your quick start, and the rest of it. And so the the, the pitch is still king. It's it's still the, the the thing that happens before the thing. It's like, you know, what you're asking is advice for a happy marriage, and we haven't had our first date yet. <laughs> so what you need is the you know the. Uh, not to say the pickup line, but you need the pickup line for your for your game before they're going to take a handful of documents or a half hour to go through your data. 
they need is why am why am I spending this half hour doing this instead of literally anything else? And that is the that's the that's the key pitch. So if you have all of those things and they're professional looking and they're good, if if you've shown evidence that you're you know a, a capable human being in the 21st century media environment, those are all great things to have, right? That will put you way ahead of me who sort of ambles in with sort of a half-baked notion about Dracula. But you have to begin with the reason they're looking at your amazing, smooth, professional, data-centric pitch as opposed to uh, my uh, story about a train platform. Because I came in with Jason Bourne versus Dracula and that made the guy pay attention. So that's, you know, that's the key is you have to have that, 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 that opener uh, you know, literally the 15 to 30 seconds minute tops of why am I paying attention to you instead of my phone? Right. I would say also, uh, if you're doing prototypes of any kind, whether it's board games or, or uh, role-playing games or anything like that, or well, you're actually hoping to get published by somebody else as opposed to self-publishing, don't go buy a lot of art, okay? Uh, a lot of times a publisher is going to want to redo the art anyway. Uh, they have their own style. They have their own uh, artists they want to use, whatever. Don't spend a lot of money on doing art. If you want to buy one piece, great. But honestly, a lot of the time you just use clip art that shows what you're trying to do. Uh, as long as you're not trying to publish it, you can put, say, I do not own this art representational only on it, whatever, uh, just to show people what it should be like so they can go out and publish. When they actually want to publish it, they commission original stuff for you. But uh, there's really no point in spending thousands of dollars. I've seen people do this on artwork that may never see the light of day, right? Um, especially since you could just, you know, use you know, Google, whatever the hell you want, put in there as clip art and say, this is good enough for now. Um, and uh, not spend billions of dollars trying to get this stuff or thousands of dollars trying to get this stuff. If, you, if you've got billions of dollars, you probably can publish your game yourself. Yeah, or hire somebody, you know, like any of us to yeah. actually do the game for you. I mean, if if you do have billions of dollars, you can absolutely hire me to do it. There you go. <laughs> and I'll subcontract Matt so it'll get done on time. The whole system will work perfectly. <laughs> okay, so uh, are there differences in approach to, like if you're pitching supplements or adventures to an already existing game property, um, how does that work? Um, I mean, for role-playing games, it's hard to pitch a supplement for something that already exists because a publisher probably already has a line of things they're interested in doing. Um, often when you're talking about doing freelancing for a publisher like that, you're going and saying, what are you interested in doing? I would be happy to write anything in this line. I specialize in these areas. So if you have something along that, I would actually be really suited for that, right? But, um, you know, saying, hey, you've got uh, Dungeons and Dragons. I'd like to do a book on clerics. Well, you know, they probably already had that idea, right? Or it's not going to be terribly exciting to them. Uh, if you're talking about doing stuff for existing board games and such, again, publishers often have these ideas. But... It doesn't hurt if it's your favorite game in the world to say, look, I've got this great idea for an expansion. Maybe you guys haven't thought of this yet. I would like to be the designer for this. Alex could probably speak to that a little bit more clearly. Yeah, I mean, on the board game side, like like you were saying for RPGs, like oftentimes publishers will have already thought through these things or they'll have an existing contract with the original designer for future expansions and things of that nature. I mean, it, it depends sort of on what level of game and what company we're talking about. But um, there's no harm in asking, certainly. I mean... You, that's the first step, right? I'd imagine for RPGs as well is if you're having a conversation with someone, it's are you looking to and or able to look for outside contributions to this this IP or this world that you have? And maybe the answer is 
no, maybe it's yes, maybe it's yes, if it's the perfect thing, right? And once you've got your foot in the door, if there's an avenue for something more, then you can have that conversation. Right. Uh, and I think that I, I think the key to pitching an existing property or an existing game is you have to know that game's line uh, super well. It's not just me and my buddies have played this game for two years and we love it. If you go in and you, and you pitch and you say, I want to do the, the cleric book, and they say, you mean like the cleric book that we've announced on our website? And then you look like an idiot. Or worse yet, the, you mean the cleric book we published a year ago? And you look like a really big idiot. You you need to know, I mean, if you're pitching directly to a to a game, to a game line, you have to know that game line as well as the guy you're pitching to so that you don't come across as someone who is... Uh, you know, who's just sort of, you know, being, you know, seen something shiny in the sky and been captivated by it. You have to, you're pitching, basically, now you're not saying, let me be your client. You're saying, I am I want to be your peer. Right? Because as, as Alex and, and Matt said, the companies have already got their ideas for expanding the game. The, 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 the sort of the partial exception or the big exception is uh, game lines that have uh, an adventure publishing model. So... Right. For Call of Cthulhu or Trail of Cthulhu, you can go to Chaosium or Pelgrain, I'll bet, and say, I know you can do it in Pelgrain. You can go to Chaosium or Pelgrain and say, I want to do this adventure. I want to do, you know, um, uh, a tribute to the Shining that's in the Overlook, but, you know, it's Ithaqua or whatever, right? And then that is, a, a, again, it's a concrete story idea. And because those games depend ecologically on having a lot of adventures out there, your chances are much higher of being able to walk in off the street. And a lot of times role-playing games that are interested in that, they've either got uh, a website uh, that publishes, you know, sort of these sorts of things in OVO or in PDF or, you know, uh, just onto the things. Savage Worlds has their one sheets. Uh, lots of games that, that are adventure focused have uh, either pre-existing material or better yet, you know, you know, submission guidelines. And they say, these are the sorts of things we're looking for. Steve Jackson games still has a ridiculously detailed submission guideline. Um, uh, what we're looking for page. And, you know, if you, if you, God bless you, want to write for GURPS, you dig that out. I mean, again, uh, but uh, for a, for a call of Cthulhu uh, or for a third party D and D compatible, you know, th those guys are, are in the need for adventures. And so if you pitch an adventure, that is a much better chance of working than going to Chaosium or Pelgrin and saying, I want to pitch a supplement about cars. And they will either have a supplement about cars or they will say, no, we're not doing that. It won't sell. We've already decided that internally. But, you know, we're always publishing adventures. So pitch us an adventure about cars and, and see how that goes. Yeah, part of my advice for that, too, is I see this in, in fiction as well, but you know, don't go ahead and write the thing before you pitch it, okay? Because you very likely spend a lot of time on this project, maybe a labor of love for you. But if you say, I've got this great expansion for this game, it's already written, let me pitch it to you. And then they say no, because they've already got something in the works, they've decided it doesn't work for them, or they don't know you or whatever. You've done all that work for nothing. Now, if it's just a hobby, sure, you did it for fun and whatever. But if you're actually trying to make a living at this kind of stuff, you've wasted a lot of time doing that kind of stuff. And it's not worth your time. Now, if you do something like that, if you made that kind of an error, like I have people could say, I've got a Halo novel I've already written. How can I, you help me get this published? Like, one, I don't have that power. 
Two, they don't want your book, right? They've already got a line of stuff they're working on with established authors, et cetera. Um, so if you do something like that, try to figure out a way to file the numbers off it, uh, the serial numbers off it, and do your own thing that maybe resembles it that's an independent yeah. thing that's not an expansion for somebody else's thing, right? But Make you're often better, better doing your original properties that way than you are trying to write up somebody uh, supplement for somebody else's thing, no matter how much you like it. Maybe Master Maybe. Chief could be a sparkly vampire of some kind. Exactly. You never know. Right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. We've got about Speaking of which, I mean, sparkly vampire started out as a fan fiction, right? Wrap up or final thoughts? He said final thoughts. Anybody got final thoughts? I was speaking. Alex, as the grown up in the room, surely you must have final <laughs> thoughts. Um, yeah, I, I think one thing I'll just say is that especially right now, uh, you're going to, you know, with, with COVID, it's, it's, you're more reliant than ever on that first impression visually, like specifically with sell sheets. I mean, there, there's lots of opportunities for online pitching, but just, you know, that, that first impression of a physical document, because if, if at least on the hobby board game side, a lot of the pitch meetings it shows are you schedule a 15 minute, half hour block. We probably have time that your game is short enough. We probably have time to play it or at least get into it. And it, the quality of the pitch isn't reliant so much on on you to carry it just with your your words, you know, because I you've got me for half an hour. So, you know, even if you stumble through the hook, if we play the game and it's great, I can see that. Whereas right now, all I'm seeing are hooks, you know, either you're getting five minutes in speed pitching where you have to sell me on a thing very quickly or I'm looking at a sell sheet, which. You know, to, to what you were saying earlier, uh, Matt, don't, don't spend money on art, but definitely spend time on graphic design. For the hobby board game side, um, graphic design is the equivalent of well-written rules in the RPG side. Like the game doesn't work without good graphic design. So it doesn't need to have good art, but it needs to be playable. It needs to be functional. I can't be confused by the iconography and, and the things you know, right there, your sell sheet should be, you know, take, take the time to look at others. There's lots of resources out there like the pitch project and things like that, that have been going recently where they have examples of good sell sheets. Um, take a look at those, see what other people are doing. You, you know, you can Google it and get hundreds of results of like, what does a good sell sheet look like for board games? Um, you know, lots of uh, spacing and, and, and graphic design and, you know, just so you're not looking at a muddled mess um, because, you know, it, it's human, like, and as much as we'd all like for the quality of our designs to carry them, um, ultimately, the people looking at your games are human too. So if I look at your sell sheet, it doesn't matter if it's the greatest game in the world. If the sell sheet looks like it was put together by you know a sixth grader, you know the night before it was due, you know there, there's some level of quality that you just you need to get right. And you can treat it like your your you can treat your sell sheet like a game, and then you show it to other people. You pitch it. You you know find people that aren't your friends and aren't directly invested in you to say like, hey, what do you think of this sell sheet? Does this sell sheet make you want to know more about this product? And incorporate that feedback because at the end of the day right now especially um that's all i know about your game is that that initial quick pitch that initial hook no i agree i think uh you know you want to be as professional as possible you want to show people that you're easy to work with that uh you're going to be a fun person to work with and that you take the stuff seriously right i mean uh the company you're asking to uh, if you're pitching a game to somebody you're asking them to put a lot of money and effort into that product uh, they have a lot, you know, they have a limited budget. They're looking at spending on uh, publishing a certain number of games per year. And you're saying, I, I, my idea deserves your time and energy, right? And if you can't show that you're at least as serious and professional as they are, then uh, you're going to buck yourself down the ladder, right? Try to take it uh, incredibly seriously that way. And, you know, 
if you can't, if you don't have these skills, you can't hire these skills out. You can find somebody who can do the graphic design for you, or you might find a uh, cousin or somebody who actually does this kind of stuff who's willing to do it in exchange for, uh, you know, a six pack of beer or a Thanksgiving dinner or whatever the hell is going to happen for you. You know, there are ways to, to work this stuff out, but, uh, and simplest is usually best. Okay. If you have a choice between showing lots and lots of stuff and complicated and all over the place, cut it down, use some white space, allow it to breathe a little bit and focus on the bits that are important rather than everything. Because again, a sell sheet and a pitch is not the entire game. Right? You don't have to package the entire experience. You have to show them why the entire experience is going to be uh, meaningful and worthwhile. To them. I guess my I final guess thought, thought is thought. that coming up with the pitch is good discipline for designing the game. Because if you can't decide what your game is about in a 30-second conversation, you can't decide what your game is about in a 300-page manual either. Uh, and it's going to be way more obvious at 300 pages than it was in 30 seconds. So take the time to, to know what the back cover of your game would look like. Take the time to know what your one-sentence pitch would be when you're pitching it at Gen Con on day three, right? Once you know that, that will be a valuable resource while you're designing, and it will also let you know if your idea is 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 you know ready to go into the oven yet. It might not even be, you know proofed much less cooked so if you can't sell yourself the game in 30 seconds there's no way you can sell somebody else that game in any amount of time well said okay thanks uh is there anything you want to say about yourselves uh, contact information what you're working on right now uh, to close things out Sure. Um, I'm Matt Forbeck. You can find me at Forbeck.com, F-O-R-B-E-C-K. I'm also on Twitter at M Forbeck. You can find me on Facebook. Uh, my latest thing was a Minecraft Dungeons novel, and I'm also doing the Shotguns and Sorcery tabletop role-playing game, which is based on a series of novels I run. You can buy that as well. Alex? I'm Ke I'm, oh, or, yeah. or Ken. Ken. Go Ken. Right. Um, uh, I'm Kenneth Height. Uh, Kenneth Height on Twitter. Kenneth Height on Facebook. Uh, right now, I'm uh, writing uh, Hellenistica, which is a 5th edition game it's set in the good parts version of the 3rd century BC. Uh, and I'm also uh, doing some card uh, descriptions, card writing for Illuminati Confirmed, a computer version of the classic Steve Jackson game, card game. It's kickstarting in November. Everybody should keep an eye out for that. And I'm Alex Cutler, and uh, the most recent game that I did development on through Pandasaurus was called Gods Love Dinosaurs. That's by uh, Casper Lapp, who was the designer of Magic Maze. Um, that's out now. So if you are uh, into tile-laying midweight euros, give that a look. It's a really great game. And if you have a game that you would like to submit to Pandasaurus for consideration, you can email me at development at pandasaurusgames.com. And I will happily look at your sell sheet. Even if you don't have something that you think is ready to pitch, I'm always happy to answer questions over email. If you wanted me to take a look at your sell sheet from a constructive criticism point of view, that's fine too. That's the Alex Cutler difference, people. Yeah, and Matt that and is, I will that's just an offer you should take them up on if you get a chance. Yeah. Right. Are we good? Okay, thanks very much. Uh, I guess that's pretty much a wrap. Uh, thanks, audience, for coming, and thank you, panelists, for participating. This has been really informative. Appreciate you all. Thanks for keeping the Metatopia flame alive in these dank times of 2020 and hope to see everybody in meat space in New Jersey next year. Mm -hmm. Thanks for having us, guys.